audio check. Now, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of RX Radio. We are continuing on with our Magellan RX um, October Pharmacist Month series, and I have on here with me Michelle Booth, uh, which I am excited to meet and get to know and, and talk a little bit about what her day-to-day is like, what she's doing, and the impact uh, that she's having on pharmacy. So, Michelle, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. How's it going today? Not too bad. Not too bad. Thank you for being flexible. We, she... You know, we have a lot of slots set up today, and she was uh, very kind to uh, switch around and make sure we got everything fitted in. So um, thank you so much. So let's start by telling the listeners first a little bit about yourself, and then we'll get into kind of talking about what you're doing here at Magellan. Okay. Um, so I am a University of Rhode Island College of Pharmacy graduate. I graduated in 1995. Um, I have had a varied background with regard to uh, different jobs and whatnot. Um, through, uh, through the time that I've been post-grad. Um, I did go back to school after getting my BS. I, I did a program through the University of Rhode Island College of Continuing Education, which allowed me to remain working full-time. And I did the uh, didactic every other Saturday for 10 hours, oh, which cool. was a little tough. Okay. Um, and then I was able to work it so that I was um, continuing to work while I did my clinical rotations. Uh, they also gave me credit for prior learning that mm-hmm. um, because I'd had some uh, different exposure to pharmacy other than maybe a retail or hospital. Yeah. Um, so I did get credit for prior learning, which was cool. Um, but um, other than that, I, I am a mom of two boys, okay. uh, married to a pharmacist. Nice. Okay. Who went back to school after. Um, <laughs> you led the way. Yeah. So there's some interesting uh, conversations at home. He's yeah. oncology, so it's, it is a little different. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have a, um, my oldest just uh, went to college in the, the fall. So, okay, um, where at? He's at High Point in North Carolina, High Point cool. University, okay. and uh, he's kind of doing a pre-med thing and I yeah. guess not surprising with two pharmacists for parents so and uh, yeah and I'm not sure uh, where that's located but North Carolina High well, Point, North Carolina. in terms of in North Carolina oh, were they affected at all uh, and no they the, weren't okay that's good um, they okay. they canceled school as a as a precaution for two mm-hmm. days um, but then it turned and there was no problem with with the um, yeah I heard the weather some bad stuff. I had to see the, a couple days after the storm I had to go to uh, uh, Greensboro and Winter Salem there to um, for a, a conference, but um, yeah, it's pretty interesting. Um, it's right next to Greensboro. Oh, okay, it is. Yep. Okay, yep. yeah, yeah. So I was over there recently. It's a very nice area. Yeah. Cool. So, um, so what is it that you do here? Let's talk about like what's your title um, sure. at Magellan and and uh, what what are you mainly responsible for? Okay, so I am. Uh, my title is Director of Clinical and Contracting Strategy. Um, I've been here for about seventeen months. Um, it's a newer position. I didn't. I didn't necessarily come in knowing what I, I was really going to be doing, um, other than providing clinical support to our manufacturer relations team. So I work alongside um, three other team members. One um, is kind of like the vice president, and he oversees um, the other two guys who are um, basically they split 
the relationships that we have with pharma, and they mm-hmm. basically are managing the relationship as, as like an account manager. Yeah, okay. So um, my responsibility is to assist in um, kind of taking a couple of different things, some some internal things that we have. Um, I work closely with our, our clinical um, uh, programs team, HETHA's team, um, and, you know, what, what are they doing for programs like the hemophilia program Mm -hmm. um what policies are we creating what drugs are out there that are um you know new to market what's in the pipeline um what might we want to look for with regard to rebate contracts Mm -hmm. so that's mainly what our relation our relationship with pharma is it's it's um uh, contracting for, for rebates only with the the specialty products so in addition to that i i also you know just I'm responsible for coming up with um, areas where we may be able to contract. If I'm, if not, you know, coming directly from um, the clinical programs team, uh, it's, it's, you know, just looking at a class of medications. Are there multiple in the class where we we could potentially contract with? Mm-hmm. Um, my day to day is is different every day, which is fine. I'm yeah. used. I'm kind of used to that in in my previous experience. I. I don't necessarily tie myself down to, um, you know, I know I'm going to work on this today because it always changes. Something else comes in. Uh, we need to get these terms back. Are they okay? I need to review this contract. Stuff like that. Yeah. Or I'm in meetings like yesterday. I was in meetings with pharma um, from 1030 to 330. Okay. So it was, it was, wow. um, you know, some of the stuff that they're presenting is clinical pipeline and yeah. whatnot. Others, you know, in addition, they might be a business discussion or it may be just a business discussion, mm-hmm. but I'm sitting in on all of those conversations just to kind of keep the, I'm like the barometer. Is this clinically appropriate? Yeah. Um, we aren't just making decisions based on cost. Okay. I mean, I'm really interested. I, I know a lot of, a lot of things you guys talk about is confidential, I'm sure, but I'm real interested to know, like, what are those meetings like? Like, and just to give some insight to listeners who probably have no idea that a pharmacist would even even be in this position, um, what are those kind of conversations like? Is it a lot of negotiations? Like, you know, some people might picture like screaming across the room, or <laughs> is it like real kind? Or uh, what? What are those conversations usually like? So the majority of conversations are fairly mild. Mm-hmm. Um, m- most of this team is new. Um, I think you know it's two years that they've been um, in these roles uh, and they have built relationships with their pharma counterparts. They're fairly amicable for the most part. Um, There isn't necessarily, um, you know, too much yelling, although there can be situations where um, (laughs) you kind of have to be forceful with, I don't want to change this criteria. Our key opinion leaders are saying, this is the way it's supposed to be and and this is how it's going to stay. if we have to walk away from the contract, we walk away from the contract. It's mm-hmm. just not it's not worth compromising, um, you know, good clinical judgment. Yeah. Um, so what happens a lot of times is we do have like a little bit of a clinical. They almost always bring their their um, uh, medical science liaison with them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're, we're either looking at pipeline, we're looking at studies um, for, you know, uh, they might have uh, real world data. They may have follow up like phase four um, if it's something that's already available. Um, they may be now trying to more promote their product because there's competition in the class, which mm-hmm. they didn't have competition before. And quick question, so how? Because I really want to get people to understand exactly why why it is that you're even meeting with these people. So it's around contracts, but 
what are these contracts for and why is it important that you meet with them? Like what impact does that have on either the patients or the business? Sure. So um, if you're thinking about a formulary um, that, that a health plan would have, there has to be some kind of incentive for them, the pharma company, to have their product for the health plan to have a, a particular product on their formulary when there's when there's competition, um, and and most of the time it's it is when there's competition. It's not necessarily um, some may have an what they consider like an access rebate. So just to have your um, product available on formulary, even if it has a prior authorization, as long as it's to label and it's not outside, you know, any um, good clinical, yeah. yeah uh, judgment, then then they'll have it. But m- for the most part, it's when there is competition. Um, you know, we'll go back to a simple example, like when there was Prilosec, Nexium, Protonix, yeah. Asifex, all very similar. Why would I have all four of them when I could just have one or two and earn some rebates for promoting that product mm-hmm. on my formulary? So they're coming in and trying to say, hey, you should really cover this drug because X, Y, Z. And that's usually what those meetings are like. And then you would then go on to uh, uh, debate or negotiate um, what the cost would be in Mm -hmm. terms of reimbursement. And you directly have you are directly responsible for those types of relations, like, um, I guess, terms and contracts. My team is I don't necessarily do any negotiating with with the pharma that's that's we leave that to the, the guys that are responsible for that relationship gotcha. okay. what they're asking me to do is look at these terms that say um, you can't disadvantage this product um, with uh, any kind of prior authorization outside of the label is that appropriate okay mm-hmm. is the label very general would we would we want to be more specific this isn't a first line agent we want somebody to fail another product first because we've had input from our um, clinical team who's also spoken with our key opinion leaders mm-hmm. are those criteria something that we want to stick with and not be too general just to get some extra money yeah. you know what i mean so yeah. it it's something that's what i'm looking at when i'm i'm reading um, through the, the terms that they've given us mm-hmm. So I'm going to put you in a scenario. Let's sure. say you uh, wanted to move to a different department or, or you wanted to do a new role or mm-hmm. a new position, and you were, you were charged with filling your, your current role now. Mm-hmm. What is it that you're looking for in that next person? Like sure. what type of skills, other than being a pharmacist, I would mm-hmm. assume, what, what are the things that you want them to have or you expect them to uh, kind of display, show, or have qualities of? So for this role, first and foremost, you have to be flexible with your time and knowing that you can't necessarily count on um, what you're what you think you're going to do in a certain day. Okay. I have a list of tasks yeah. and things get switched around all the time. So you have to be fairly flexible. Yeah. Um, and you have to understand that sometimes um, you know, I- I'm responsible for coming up with some um, classes that we could contract with. It may be that that's not going to happen, and you have to be able to say, okay, move on to the next, put that aside, mm-hmm. maybe bring it up in a year, move on to the next um, yeah. topic. It also helps to have some um, uh, really good communication skills um, in that I'm able to talk to uh, both the clinical people on the pharma side mm-hmm. as well as the business folks Um also being able to uh, communicate with my my team who you know one's a pharmacist but the other two they they're not 
you know, clinical. Yeah. So I, you need to be able to communicate um, so that they're understanding why we, we may or may not be doing X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. Um, I also, I think having a good clinical background is helpful. Um, my previous experience, I was a, um, a clinical pharmacist at Neighborhood Health Plan of Rhode Island. Um, and my responsibilities were to create criteria for um, prior authorization, work on um, maintaining the formulary. Um, I, so I have that background, which is really helpful because I'm looking at criteria. I'm helping um, the team to understand the criteria. I work with our clinical team to try to um, maybe make the changes that we need to to satisfy pharma. So having a a, a good clinical understanding of the drugs is helpful as well. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, those would be the top ones that I would say. That's really interesting. I mean, to hear, uh, I would I would have never expected to hear like the amount of things that you're doing, I think, in in your particular role. Now, this is going to be a selfish question because you said you have a list of tasks and things change daily. How are you, what's your like project management tool or like how are you managing like these things exactly? Like what are some tactics that you can give advice on? Sure. So I'm a big fan of Outlook. Um, I, I flag email. I'll even mark it as unread if I know I need to go back to it. Mm. But I also have the tasks, um, um, what do you call that icon thing? I use the tasks in Outlook. I type out what I need to do. I put deadlines in it. Um, You know, I I give myself when I need to to start looking at it, um, when I might need to look at it by... And I put notes in the tasks so that I know what I'm what I'm needing to do. I also use that little sticky note. Um, that's uh, I I've never realized that I even had it before I came here. <laughs> but it looks like an actual sticky note. And for things I know it's I have to outlook? look at. Yep. Oh nice. It's not Outlook. It's it's a Windows thing. Oh Windows. It's a Windows thing. Yeah. Okay. It looks like a Post-it. Yeah. Um, and I put things on there that I know I have to get to fast yeah. instead of having to go into my tasks because some days I have days where I can't even look at my tasks because you just, got the sticky notes just filled you up got the sticky yeah. notes yeah <laughs> yeah so those are those are the things that I I use I know a lot of people use whiteboards I have a whiteboard in my office mm-hmm. but I don't necessarily use that um it's just not not my style I've always used the tasks and I feel like that keeps me on track yeah cool and um, so let's talk about the future of pharmacy. So, uh, you know, you seem like you have a lot of experience, especially um, not only in this role, but but in, in previous roles. Let's talk a little, we can go general, like where you see pharmacy going. And then I'd also like to go into like what you see, how your particular role might change in like the new landscape. So first, let's talk about like, how do you, what, what's your vision on what pharmacy is kind of going towards and looking like in the future? So... My thoughts on on pharmacy in the future um, is definitely a more hands-on approach for the typical pharmacist, not not somebody in my role, Um, and and meaning that they have the opportunity to interact more with patients. Um, I felt very strongly about that um, for a while, and in my previous role at Neighborhood, I was uh, I created my own little MTM program where I would actually go into patients' homes nice. and provide um, one-on-one um, medication education. Um, and this was a managed Medicaid health plan, so this is a very vulnerable population. So, even if we just start with your more, more vulnerable populations, I I think that you know it it needs to um, be 
education needs to be at the forefront for, for people to understand why they need to take their medications and whatnot. Um, I think we're a little bit further ahead than we were a few years ago, but I think pharmacists need the time to be able to um, devote to talking with their patients. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually just heard that um, there's a medication coming out for um, opioid use disorder. Mm-hmm. It's not available just yet. It's a buprenorphine product, and they have cleared it to have pharmacists provide the injection, which I think is amazing. Um, I think there are providers that um, are, are you know treating opioid use disorder. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are, are psychiatrists. They're not interested in providing the injection. They mm-hmm. they aren't. They don't want to do it. They they're that's not part of their day to day. Today they don't buy and bill medications. If you can send that that patient to the pharmacist and have the pharmacist do some education and provide the injection, I think that would be wonderful. Um, I, I really do believe that pharmacists should have more of a role in providing medications. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, in Rhode Island, we have a Lyme disease um, clinic in South Kingstown, Rhode Island, where um, you bring your tick in and you show the pharmacist and they're able to prescribe um, medication for you for, yeah. for Lyme disease. So there's, I, I think I would love to see pharmacy go in that direction. Yeah. Um, so that's interesting. So the one about the injection. So the indication of that medication, like it can, it could only like the person can only get that medication injected by a pharmacist. Well, it would if you are um, in an office or a clinic setting where they have um, staff that will administer. Like probably, you know, they, there would be nurses that would be administering oh, okay. it. But there are um, psychiatry offices that that are substance abuse providers and mm-hmm. they don't do anything like this. Gotcha. Right now. I see what you're saying. They're providing okay. a prescription for Suboxone. They're yeah. not they're not doing any kind of buy and bill of medication. Mm-hmm. And okay. I, there are some pharmacists um, where the uh, long acting antipsychotic injections are are able to be administered by a pharmacist. So this would be in line with that. If you think about it, psych- psychiatrists would be prescribing those um, antipsychotic medications. Yeah. So they may already have relationships with some some pharmacists. Yeah. Cool. So man, that's that's a lot. So all right. So let's go into your current role. Mm-hmm. So uh, let's say you're you're going to stay in this current role, and it's going to be five, ten years down the line. What you know, because you didn't hit the lotto or anything. <laughs> what is it that you are going to like? How do you see this role changing it, it, as the times as the times might change, or do you see it as just being more of the same? Um, do you see it uh, kind of morphing into something different? Uh, what's your outlook on that? Well, what I'm hoping for is that um, as a medical pharmacy company, where we are providing the um, you know policies and strategies for more medical pharmacy. So when I say that, I mean things that are administered um, in an infusion center or in a doctor's office or um, in, through a hospital, um, where we are able to steer health plans to certain medications um, and able to provide strategies around that and and even some some contracting opportunities for more of the medical side. Um, Right now, um, pharma is a little bit um, reluctant to uh, do much in the on the medical side. Mm Uh, so I'm hoping that you know in the future we can we can have more opportunities with with more classes of medications, especially when the specialty drug spend is growing and growing um, yeah. as at the rate that it is now. Yeah, I feel like um, specialty. I mean, I mentioned on a couple of episodes that 
it's the largest growing sector of the industry, and it's just, you know, a lot of education, a lot of training for pharmacists are missing. Um, at least when I was in school, I wasn't getting any sort of education as to, like, I mean, I'm sure they had, like, they, we, we had briefed over it, but, I mean, the amount of education that's needed now to really be in that industry, it's so, um, it's so vast. Um, so what about the advice that you'd maybe give to some students now that maybe are interested in, um, whether it be specialty or more so like a role like yours, um, what advice would you give to them? And then I'd also ask, like, um, which is interesting because you might be able to attest to this, that you are already a practicing pharmacist um, in, in, in another industry or another company and then kind of got to this role. So first, let's talk to students that are listening. Mm-hmm. What advice do you have for them that want to hopefully see a, a, a track to get to like a beeline to kind of where you're at? Um, and then we can talk about like the practicing pharmacist next. Sure. So um, I have had a very varied background. I've worked at a PBM as my first job. I worked in hospital. Um, I worked at Blue Cross of Rhode Island. Um, I worked at a 340B pharmacy. I did my independent retail pharmacy work, went back to hospital, did anticoagulation management, and worked at a, a managed Medicaid um, for the longest time. Nothing there is traditional. Mm-hmm. I mean, I did my retail for a little while, and in hospital was somewhat traditional, but I, I ended up moving into the anticoag clinic. Mm-hmm. Um, but really, what I would suggest is to take a chance. It's not um, it's not a bad thing to have multiple um, different experiences on your resume. I found that I used to be embarrassed by the fact that my resume went over a page. It's actually a couple pages, mm-hmm. um, but really it makes me very unique because I have had multiple different experiences. And even within some of my my single experiences, I've done so many different types of things that I, I feel like it just um, allows me many different opportunities. So I would say don't be afraid to take a chance on something that may not be norm, mm-hmm. like retail or hospital. Yeah, yeah. And what about the practicing pharmacists now that, you know, they have a family, they have, you know, that they're trying to take care of and um, they're practicing, let's say, at a hospital or a community kind of like in that the, that two-tiered kind of box where everyone knows that there's usually only two options is kind of what we're fed nowadays. What can they do um, to try to get to a role like yours? So what I would what, – what I did – myself, um, many of those choices that I had to make were for my family. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I had to move from full-time to part-time. Not had to, but I, I wanted to. Yeah. Um, so I, I was just on the lookout for something that would fit my needs part-time-wise, and it just happened to be something that was non-traditional. Mm-hmm. Um, that was the 340B pharmacy, which was really a very interesting experience. Yeah. Um, I, I, w- I would say you have to err on the side of caution because you're you're supporting your family um, but similar to what I what I would suggest to the students is you know if you can hold out and and just give something a chance that may be new mm-hmm. um, I, I would say I would say take take that plunge you know just try yeah. something that's different um, you probably could easily go back to your similar, more traditional role if you didn't like it, yeah. but um, do some research ahead of time. Yeah. If you can speak with people that um, work for the company or are in similar roles, I would suggest doing that. Um, mm-hmm. You know, don't don't feel like um, 
because you haven't necessarily had the experience in managed care that you can't do it. You live it every day if you're doing retail. You you understand what a formulary is. You understand what happens when you run a claim. So you're you're one step ahead of yeah. um, you know it, what where you think you might be. Yeah. Um, so that's, I mean, such, that's you you touched on two things that I think is really important, and I just want to really emphasize that you know because you're in a community setting or even a hospital setting, like if you're practicing somewhere you likely have more or are capable to do a lot more things than you probably think you do exactly. because you didn't do a residency or because you're not in a certain position already. So um, that's one thing. And the other thing, too, I think was important was that you can always go back. Like, especially, you know, at, at, with the way things are going, you, if you take a leap somewhere and you try something new, like, you can go back and get your other position back. It might not be at the same store or your same team given, yeah, but, like, you can always go back and have that traditional role there for you if you, if you already have that experience, so. Absolutely. And, yeah. I mean, I didn't go back to a same, but, I mean, I went back to retail. I went back to hospital. So, you know, I, I mm-hmm. you just, you yeah. know, sometimes things just turn out. I don't know if it's karma or yeah. what, but things just turn out in the end, so. Well, what's uh, I hope you know others will, might want to reach back out to you and kind of continue the conversation. They might have some follow up questions. So, what would be the best way for them to get in contact? With sure, you? they can email me. Okay, I'll, uh, I can put it in there. Okay, in the, uh, I'll, I'll put your email in sure. the show notes here. So, absolutely. Um, but, Doctor Booth, thank you so so much for, for your time. I really do appreciate it. This was it's great. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Hey, everyone. First of all, thank you so much uh, for being a listener, for being a subscriber and taking in all the content that we're putting out. And I really want to thank the folks over at Magellan RX for making this happen, uh, both to the pharmacist that uh, we interviewed in the series and also the marketing team over at Magellan. I really do appreciate you guys for uh, really making this come to life uh, for uh, for October Pharmacist Month. And uh, if you want to learn more about Magellan, what they're doing, visit them at MagellanRx.com. I'm going to link their uh, website information in the show notes below. And, uh, you know, if you haven't subscribed yet, definitely make sure to subscribe to the podcast and follow us on any of your favorite social media platforms, uh, whether it be Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn. Um, We're on all those. And until next time, see you over the counter.